Thanks, Johnny. Morning, everyone. It's good to uh, gather together this morning to worship God. And uh, this morning, we're continuing our series that we started uh, last week. It's a four-part series um, looking at uh, God, marriage, sex, and relationships. Um, We're also exploring, as well as marriage, thinking about singleness uh, as well. And I just want to really encourage you, actually, over these four weeks, um, realize that we're not always, always able to be here every Sunday. If you miss a week, um, to go onto the website and to listen to the other talks, because this really is um, a series that fits together, and there are different parts of that. It's really helpful if we see all the talks in the context uh, of the other talks as well. And just want to start by giving us a brief uh, introduction by talking about what we talked about last week as I introduced uh, this topic. And we started by looking to Jesus. You know, as, as Christians, our first call is to follow Christ, that we are his disciples. He calls us into relationship and we are called to follow him. So we started, didn't we, by going to some of his words about marriage in Uh, Matthew chapter 19, and we saw very quickly that actually as Jesus taught on this, that he led us straight back to the beginning, uh, to Genesis chapter 1. And we saw there that it all starts uh, with God in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And interestingly, uh, the start of the creation of humanity, we understand that God is Trinity, that he is three in one. And because he's Trinity, he is love. He himself is loving community. And I talked about how our vision focus for last year was all about loving community and how God supremely models to us what it is to be loving community. And right at the center of who we are and all that we do, it's really important that we hold God's love up as the standard. He is the one that we follow and he is defined as love. And we are created in his image. We learnt Uh, And as part of that, we are created with both the desire and the capacity for love. We are called to love God and love one another. And uh, within this, we talked about how humankind is made in God's image and they are made male and female. And within this, I talked about humankind is called to be fruitful. I talked about how God looked on his creation and saw that it was very good. You know, in a, in a world where self-esteem is often low, particularly amongst young people, but amongst many, God looks at us and he loves us. What he created was very good. I talked about in years gone by how the church has often communicated that sexuality is a negative thing, even at times that it is sinful. There was this kind of dualistic uh, perspective that actually sex was, sex was wrong. How, how wrong could that be for the church to advocate something like that? And then on the other extreme, I did talk about how our society today can often seem obsessed with sex. But I talked about how God actually offers a very different way to either of these. A place where we celebrate our sexuality in the context of God's boundaries. Genesis talks about how it is not good for man to be alone that we are created for a relationship. It's inconceivable for us to think that actually we could live life without relationships. And in this context, in Genesis, uh, it talks about a new union when man and woman come together in marriage and in which sex cements this together. This points us to God. God is three in one, 
marriage is two in one. There is a new union. I talked about how God had created that which he saw was good, was spoiled by the fall. All creation is fallen, including our sexuality. We looked at the uh, fullness of our sexuality and how sleeping with different people can lead to fragmentation. It can lead to pain. Uh, This week, I want to pick up specifically on the fallenness of our sexuality. As I mentioned last week, the Apostle Paul calls disciples of Jesus to flee sexual immorality. Now, within our our brokenness, I also said it's really important that we recognize that God is a God of grace. He's a God of love. And he's a God who wants to bring restoration. You know, so often in our world, we can judge one another. In the church, we've been very good at judging one another. But that's not God's way. Jesus very clearly said in John 3, uh, 3.17, I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of showing us his love and restoring us to all that we can be. And of course, that won't be fully realized until we go to heaven. But God wants to start his work on us and in us uh, now. The reality is that all of us experience the consequences of the fall. There's no exception. All of us are fallen beings. And as we talk about these issues, I'm really mindful that for some of us, this may really touch on raw nerves. It may touch on old wounds. Um, and just want us to be full of grace with one another and give space for one another as we explore uh, these issues. You know, the reality is all of us are in need of God's grace. I'm so aware of my own life. I'm in need of God's grace. I'm fallen. There are so many things that I do wrong, and I need God's grace to restore me into all that he wants me to be. Um, last week, I talked about how God does that through creating a new community, that part of the way in which he brings that restoration and that healing is through creating a new community, and that community is called the church, where we can have a sense of belonging and we can experience God's restoration. Next week, we'll be exploring this a bit more, and I really want us to think through you know, what that community looks like and how we as a church at St. James can be more like that community that God gives to us. Uh, also, uh, the week following, Alison Evans um, is coming to speak to us about singleness and her own experience of singleness and what it is to follow Jesus in that place. At St. James, we want to both uh, value marriage and singleness as valid ways to live as followers of Christ. So I was talking to someone before the service and they were mentioning actually uh, Christianity is, is the only faith that really values singleness on the same level as marriage. You know, think about Jesus. He was single. The Apostle Paul, he was single as well. Uh, I also talked about how marriage and sex aren't all ultimate things, that actually these things are superseded by the marriage, the marriage of Christ and the church. The union in marriage between man and woman is actually a foretaste of much more, the union between Jesus and his church. We want to recognize that our sexuality points us to something far greater. It points us to God himself, God who is Trinity, God who is community, God who is loving community, God who wants to be in relationship with each one of us, God who wants each one of us to draw near to him so that as we draw near to him, he 
will draw near to us. God wants us to draw near to him, him who is characterized first and foremost by love. And so they were some of the things that we looked at uh, last week. And so we explored something of God's design and his desire for his creation. And today we're exploring the consequences of the fall and specifically this New Testament phrase, sexual immorality, which appears in our Bible reading today. And uh, thanks to Sue for reading that reading. It's a difficult reading to read and there's some difficult things in there to hear. And when we think about sexual immorality, actually we probably feel, oh, this is a difficult subject to grapple with. But I think it's really important in the church, it can be a place where we can actually talk about these things. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Sexual sin impacts deep within us and can spoil what God has intended. Just as, in, just as when Adam and Eve chose their own way and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it spoiled things. Now we are surrounded by a world uh, much like Corinth that was uh, very much characterized by sexual immorality. It was obsessed with it, even in fact to the, to the extent where uh, there was the verb to Corinthianize, which literally meant to practice sexual immorality. That verb was used by surrounding cities because it was so prolific within Corinth. But, you know, we recognize, don't we, as Christians, that is around us as well. But we as Christians, as I talked about last week, are also called to be distinctive. We are called to proactively resist sexual immorality. Now, we see in our reading this morning that actually sex unites people on a really deep level. On 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 16, we read... Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And of course, Paul there is quoting from Genesis chapter 1. Sex is like glue that bonds people together. If someone sleeps with one person, part of that person is united with that other person. If that person then sleeps with someone else, another part of that person is united with them. And this can lead to people experiencing fragmentation. You know, many people in our society today can really struggle with deep relationships. And again, I want to really stress here that we do not want to judge but we want to be a church that sees God's love and his restoration. And we believe that God actually brings his restoration in the most difficult places. God is a God of grace. And the Bible, as I was talking about last week, gives a really positive picture of sexuality. It talks about it in a really positive way. We see this right at the beginning in Adam and Eve, uh, where it talks about them being naked and not ashamed don't often hear us talking about this in church, but it's really important that we celebrate uh, the wonder of God's creation and what is created. In Song of Songs, uh, we have an erotic love poem. And then the big story of the Bible is about the journey of God with his people and that one day Jesus will be married 
to the church. And Paul even goes as far to encourage husbands and wives to sleep together. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes about it being good for husbands and wives to maintain that sexual relationship. And there are times where obviously that can be difficult, but it's something that is healthy in marriage. It is not something you take elsewhere when you get bored. It is a covenant where you're committed to one another for the rest of your life or their life in deep union. Now, the Bible, as I've already said, clearly opposes um, sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Adultery destroys relationships. God is faithful, and the marriage bond is supposed to reflect him. Adultery destroys what God has put together. Interestingly, often in the Bible, where God challenges the people of Israel for worshipping other gods, he uses adultery as a metaphor All sexual immorality spoils us inwardly. It spoils us inwardly and spoils the image of God in us. And uh, the Greek word here for sexual immorality is porneia. And it's the word we get pornography from. And it is a coverall word for sexual immorality. And it crops up a lot in the Bible. And that's what I want us to explore now is this word uh, porneia. And uh, one of the places we read about it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Uh, Paul writes, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. It's really interesting here in Corinth that actually such was the level of sexual immorality that it infiltrated the church to such an extent that there was sexual immorality going on that was even worse, Paul says, than was going on in uh, broader society. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And what God is saying here is, I love you. You know, I love you. I've created you in my image. I live inside of you. And I want you to honor yourselves and honor me. Jesus paid the ultimate price for each one of us that he could dwell inside of us. And he wants us to live for him in all that we do. Uh, In Proverbs uh, chapters 6 to 7, a father is giving counsel to his son, Uh, about adultery and he writes this in chapter 6 and verses 27 to 29 can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched so is he who sleeps with another man's wife no one who touches her will go unpunished and I'm sure all of us have seen the devastation that comes through adultery. We know that it's like fire, as it talks about in Proverbs. It can impact on friendships, on marriages, and on wider family as well. But the good news again is that God is in the business of restoration, that God isn't here to judge us, but he wants to restore us. He wants to restore us to the fullness of all that God has got for us. You know, fire in the right place is a wonderful thing, 
you know, on a cold winter's evening when you've got your fire going. It's wonderful, isn't it? It warms you up and it brings cheer to your heart. But if fire is in the wrong place in your lounge, it will create destruction. And some of us may have even experienced that destruction physically um, from fire. It's a, it's a terrifying uh, thing. Um, one uh, youth worker, when trying to communicate this, kind of communicated it slightly uh, incorrectly, and uh, he wondered why the youth group laughed, but basically he said, sex is a wonderful thing. It is like fire. It needs to happen in the grate and not on the sofa. He wondered why the, uh, why the youth group uh, was uh, falling about laughing. I'm sure you can imagine why. Um, we live in a society, don't we, where longer-term relationships with no marriage covenant, are the norm. Again, the scriptures are really clear on this. Um, As I talked about last week, as we looked at Genesis, there is a commitment in marriage. Marriage is supposed to give that place of safety and unconditional love. You know, love uh, is a wonderful thing, and we're called to respect and honor one another, and actually marriage gives that sense of security. It's a wonderful thing. I don't have to think... Oh, you know, Ali might be tired of me next week, so I need to do everything I can to make sure that she uh, sticks around. I know that she's committed to me. I do put the effort in as well, I hasten to add. Um, But there's that sense of actually that commitment to one another. And uh, I've occasionally been asked the question, um, I'm not married, so how far can I go? And I was particularly asked this question as a, as a youth worker. And sometimes I think this is not always the best question to ask. I think the best question to ask is, how can I best honour God? I'm a disciple of Jesus. How can I best honour God in who I am? And the Bible's really clear. It says, flee from sexual immorality. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, our first call is to worship. It's great that we can worship God week by week here at St. James, and that's something we want to press into. The consistent message throughout the Bible is to flee from sexual immorality. Another area that the Bible talks about is sex within same-sex relationships. The Bible is clear that sex within same-sex relationships falls outside of God's boundaries for sexual union. And we need to recognize this as a really sensitive area and a really difficult area uh, to grapple with. And we also need to recognize that in the church, we've not always been great at communicating on this. In fact, at times we've been homophobic and we've not been helpful in how we talk about this area. Where this is the case, the church needs to address it and it needs to speak with love and grace as well as truth. Now, the Bible talks a number of times about homosexuality alongside other things. It was in our passage today from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul also writes about it in Romans chapter 1. Some of us may be familiar with this passage in Romans. And in Romans, Paul is writing about the gospel and people's need for Jesus. All of us are in need of a saviour. We all need the good news of Jesus. And Paul talks about how uh, worshipping things other than God leads to all kinds of different things. Romans 1.21, he talks about, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, 
but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so Paul is talking here about the fact that the, the people he's talking about had lost sight of who God was, that they were no longer worshipping him for who he was. Paul then goes on to talk about how when they stopped worshipping God and how this led to materialism and sexual immorality. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 25, Therefore God gave them over in, their sinful, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Paul then goes on to talk about same-sex relationships. He says this in one, chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Paul then continues on to talk about the consequences of what happens as people stop putting God first. And he talks about envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. He then describes those who have lost sight of the worship of God, and he talks about gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Now, this is all really challenging stuff for all of us. All that Paul talks about here, um, we all struggle with. And in Paul's line of thinking in Romans is that the whole of humanity has lost its way, that the whole of humanity needs to be restored by God's grace. And of course, as we go on in Romans, we see this wonderful picture of God's redeeming plan through Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has died on the cross to save us all, to bring salvation uh, to all of us. Now, over the last couple of years, um, I've come across a wonderful group of Christians who have set up a network who describe themselves as same-sex attracted and are seeking to live within the teaching of the Scriptures. And uh, they've created a website called uh, Living Out, and on the website they say this, with friends we've set up this website to articulate a perspective that is not often heard, that of men and women who are honest and open about their same-sex attraction but who have discovered that obedience to Jesus in this area of, of life is fulfilling, healthy, and authentic. And uh, it's interesting, this group, rather than identifying themselves as gay, they describe themselves as same-sex attracted. And part of the reason for this is that the Bible talks about homosexuality, that it is not referring to an identity, as often is the case in our society. Rather, it is talking about a practice and uh, Ed Shaw, one of the founders of this site, he's also a, a church leader um, himself, would describe as same-sex attracted and lives a life of celibacy, has written this. He says, what I most want to avoid is any other identity that might attempt to displace my fundamental identity as a Christian. And Ed is expressing how he wants to allow Christ to be his identity. Again, this is something we really need to explore carefully and gently and something it's good for us to talk about but we want to ultimately point people to Jesus all of us are in need of Christ and need his grace 
Finally, I want to talk about the fact that we need to guard our hearts and minds. You know, we live in a society that is increasingly uh, sexualized, obsessed with uh, sex. As I said, the Bible paints a really positive image, but there is an obsession we find in our society, and um, particularly thinking about this word porneia, that uh, is the word that we is the root word for pornography today, and we see. Um, that sexual images are present in so many places within our society today. And uh, someone called William Struthers has written a book called Wired for Intimacy. And he writes this, Many Christians find themselves in a cultural battle to protect both themselves and their children from this onslaught of sexual permissiveness. He goes on to say that pornography dishonors the image of God in an individual by treating him or her as a sexual object to be consumed directly or indirectly. And I just find myself as a father that I'm so aware for my own children. Um, the images and the, the pictures, all that they are surrounded by. And my heart for my sons especially, thinking about my sons, but also my daughter as well, uh, but thinking about my sons is that they'd grow up to be men of God who know what it is to honour women, what it is to uh, celebrate their sexuality within the boundaries of what God has given. And for me, uh, this means uh, with my sons that I want to be careful about what they watch. I want to be careful about what they are exposed to uh, in their day-to-day lives. It also means that I don't want them to be passive observers, but I want them to be... uh, men who grow up, who are able to critique the society in which they live. Again, this comes back to our distinctiveness as Christians, that we're called to be distinctive in the way we live. And obviously, I want to couch all this. I don't want want them to grow up to be prudes or, or people who kind of have this negative image of sexuality. And so I want to affirm all this in who Christ is, that they are disciples of Jesus And I also want to affirm all this in the context of who they are in him. You know, the writer of the the Proverbs says this in chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everything else flows from it. And then in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul writes, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, God wants us to have a healthy attitude towards our sexuality. And this starts with our minds and our hearts. Now, we're just coming into land now. And I just want to say again that actually we've covered some really deep things today. We've covered some things that can really touch deeply on us. And I think it's really important, as I said already, that we are loving community here that we provide a space where we can grapple with these deep things, that we can talk about them without judging uh, one another. And I want us to be a community of grace as well, a community where we see restoration, where there is brokenness, that we can actually bring these things to one another and before God, where we can experience the restoration that he brings. We want to be a community who are committed followers of Jesus And we need to recognize that none of us is perfect. All of us are in need of a savior. As Jesus said, whoever is without sin, 
cast the first stone. None of us can cast the first stone. All of us are broken. All of us are in need of God's grace. And I just want to say for those of us here this morning who are perhaps grappling with some of these things, maybe there's old wounds for us or maybe there are new things that you're hearing that you're not sure about. I want to just say a few things. I first think the first one is to say, um, as I've said already, that God's grace is there. He welcomes us with open arms. He does not judge us, but he welcomes us to himself. And he says, come on a journey with me. I will walk with you, alongside you, follow me, and I will pour out my love and my goodness. I see what I've made is good, and I want it to be restored to that goodness that I first intended. Secondly, I want to suggest if you're struggling with this, bring this to Jesus, but bring it to Jesus with someone else. If there's someone else you trust, maybe in your small group or maybe in prayer ministry, bring it to Jesus. Allow him to bring his healing uh, to you. And uh, also, if there's some issues you're grappling with and you want to think through more, just encourage you to look into it more. That website I mentioned, Living Out, is a really good website. It's authentic. It's about people who are who are living it uh, themselves. Also, there's some great books that cover all the things that I've been talking about. And again, if you would like uh, references to those, please feel free to email me or talk to me afterwards, and I can point you uh, in the right direction. You know, God's desire for all of us is that we draw near to him, that we experience more of his grace in our week-by-week living. Uh, As I said, next week we're going to be specifically exploring what a God-centered community looks like and how we can actually live that loving community, that we can be a space of love, a place where we can grow into all that he is, that we can find refuge, we can find belonging, we can find uh, restoration. And so let's, in all this, uh, pursue godly relationships. Let's, in all this, pursue a journey that is about following Jesus and becoming more like him. Because in the end, that's what it's all about. It's about drawing near to him and knowing him more deeply.